0: Welcome back to the next episode of The Ecumen, where we're now going to cover the next lesson in the Baltimore Catechism. Today, we are going to go over the redemption. So this is the part in the creed where we're actually talking about Jesus Christ suffering under Pontius Pilate, being crucified, dying, and being buried. And so, going to hell, rising again on the third day. This is the meat of the Christian religion. This is our faith, so... Uh, Yeah, before we get started, I'm going to remind everyone again, please uh, like us, like the video, follow us on YouTube, follow us on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes, and we thank you for engaging us in the discussion section, so uh, yeah, whatever you want to throw at us, we're happy to uh, fire back your way, so thanks for listening. Moving into this, we're looking at uh, question 90, what is meant by the redemption? By the redemption, we mean that Jesus Christ is the redeemer of the whole human race, offers his sufferings. And death to God the Father as a fitting sacrifice in satisfaction for the sins of men and he regains for all of us the right to be children of God and heirs of heaven now even though Christ did die and offer up enough grace and sacrifice so all men could be saved and all men are redeemed not all men actually take God up on that offer because it's hard so this
1: is a huge disagreement that many of our Protestant brethren have with the catholic church this whole idea of faith and works and to that you know christ the redeemer pays the sin. um he pays the pays the debt that we owe but there's still temporally things that need to be done right so i can break your window by accident negligence malice whatever it is i can ask for your forgiveness pete you can forgive me i still need to repair that window
0: you mean christ didn't just do one act and then I, i have nothing else i really have to do No,
1: no, no.
0: You mean the words of the gospel and all of the New Testament letters that tell us over and over again to offer up spiritual sacrifices and to pray and to be good people? Even the Beatitudes, we have to do all that too? Yep. He says sarcastically. So yeah, yeah, look at that. So all of this work here that Christ does for us can only be received and accepted if and when we are willing to be like Christ. Because the only way we're actually going to be able to get to heaven is God the Father has to be able to look at each of us and see Christ. And it's not going to be because I said something in a church one time or because I received baptism alone um, or because I, I'm i going to do, quote, unquote, receive Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Lord and Savior, which I want to make sure everyone Is where? That is nowhere actually in scripture explicitly at all whatsoever. That is a made-up notion that is not Christian. So when we look at what Christ actually told us to do, it's to follow in his footsteps so that we can be redeemed. And then we're going to go over in this lesson the things that Christ did for us so that we could be redeemed, and those are actually actions and sufferings that he means for all of us to share with him. And thinking about him on Sunday, and then just going back to our own lives. This is a yeah. There's a things lifestyle.
1: all throughout the Bible, um, in which, particularly in New Testament, in which Jesus tells us things that we must do. Right, put aside your worldly riches and follow me, as a specific act. Right, the rich man walks away dejected because he can't bear to be parted from his wealth. Jesus still died for him, but he, in his ignorance, pride, whatever it is, turned his back on it. well and you have
0: judas like he died for judas's sins as well but judas didn't want to live the lifestyle and what does judas do from the moment he's selected to be an apostle up until he commits suicide he still starts out following jesus he's still curing the sick he's still performing miracles by the power of jesus christ and then ultimately decides that you know what i i really want an earthly king i really want an earthly empire and i want earthly status
1: Think of all of the graces that were bestowed on him just being in Christ's presence for three years and how hardened your heart has to be to go down the road he did.
0: Yeah, in the end, there is only one way. Jesus Christ,
1: he is redemption.
0: And we have to do what he did in order that we're going to be saved. And that means not focus on this place as if it's the end all be all.
1: Mm -hmm. It's just not it. I mean, I have obviously, obviously Noah believed God, when he told him about the ensuing deluge, he still had to build the ark. And Moses
0: still had to go before Pharaoh and still demand that the Israelites be set free. Uh, Abraham still had to go offer Isaac for sacrifice. You have David, who still had to atone for the sins with Bathsheba and still fulfill all of his roles that uh, were expected of him. You had how many different prophets that were required by God to show acts of faith and works in front of these uh, pagan, these demonic, demon-worshipping priests, like over and over and over again, he asks all of these individuals to do great things. St. Stephen, why is Stephen sainted? Because Stephen had to go in front of all these people and tell them that Jesus Christ was the king and that he was a follower of Christ and he got killed for it. It wasn't just that he had faith. (laughs) It's that he actually committed to expressing it. He received the graces through his works in faith. The, the whole point being is when we're going to talk faith and works, we have to make sure that there is a understanding that works without faith are dead. Faith without works are dead. You have to have them both. It's a false dichotomy to sit there and try to say, well, Catholics only believe that you need works. That's absolutely not true. We'll link that in on the catechism, the catechism of the Catholic church, the bigger one, where it actually explains it. And we're going to talk about it in future lessons here. But as we're going through what Christ did for us, the redemption is something we have to accept and we have to receive and ultimately something we have to live. This is why question 91 makes sense in what were the chief sufferings of Christ. Um, Christ suffered bitter agony of soul, bloods, he sweat blood when he was in the uh, garden, still in the agony, the scourging that he suffered at the hands of his uh, executioners, crowning with thorns, crucifixion and death on a cross. Now, God knows we will not be able to do every single one of those things and live. Christ was God, the man God. He could do all that. We will not be able to. However, there is no reason why we all should not expect to suffer at least part of that, let alone all the detraction, all of the lies, all of the persecutions that Christ suffered at the hands of the Pharisees and the Romans. These things all are in store for us if we actually are going to be like Christ. We must suffer like Christ. So this is... His sufferings that he had for our redemption, but sufferings that give us a bunch of merit at the end.
1: Yeah, it stings. It, the, his sufferings, too, they're the only things that could have redeemed us, right? He is the only one who could have done it, right? right. This is a, this is what we were talking about with the idea of Catholics only believe in works. Like, that's not true. Christ is the only person who can pay satisfaction for those sins, not not any one creature can can essentially justify himself.
0: None of them. None of us. Even Mary. Nope. As a thing, as much as we sit there and talk about Mary as a perfect, for lack of a better term, and maybe immaculate would be the better term, as much as we talk about her and her immaculate conception and all that she was and the fact that she was sinless, the only reason she was sinless is because of Jesus Christ. He empowered his mother to be that way. He said, as long as you go with me, I will ensure that you go the right way the whole way. And she did. So both Christ and his mother are proof that all of us have that capacity in us to actually shake off sin entirely. But wow, is it hard in this this place? And that's something we should take to heart as we watch and look further into uh, Christianity. We watch how people live. We watch how people react to testimonies of Christ or the demands of worship, the sacraments, what have you. Um, there's a lot of stuff we need to do in order to s- kind of throw off the world.
1: Yeah, throw off the world to, um, you know, it's going to require suffering, right? To get closer to Christ is going to require suffering. And also, I mean, we already talked about in past episodes, that is that was the just punishment for the fall of man was, you know, women are going to have painful childbirths. Men are going to have to toil in the field. There will be death. Like, there will be suffering. So the more we try to fight suffering, the more we try to make our lives comfortable with, you know, bubble baths every night. I'm not saying bubble baths are sinful, but an indulgence of those, right, or where we never, ever try to allow ourselves to feel physical torment. We never right? say no. Right. We never say no. For intemperate in everything, in all of our passions and all of our desires and all of our creature comforts, we are essentially bucking the system right we are turning our back on the justice of god which is saying like hey this is the, this is the just punishment for the fall of man and so when we when we turn away from that when we try to make our lives easy you know there's nothing wrong with a, the simple pleasures in life but again it goes back to that temperance if you only seek out pleasure and you turn your back on suffering you are essentially turning your back on god's justice
0: well, we're also turning our back on that sharing of intimacy with Christ on that road to Calvary. Exactly. We're refusing to suffer as He suffered, which going it is in totally
1: um, unjust to do that. You don't want to suffer with Christ in solidarity, and again, you don't His and His Father's judgment, right? His just judgment. You're essentially saying, "Nah, I don't think that that's the way. I'm going to create my own life away from all this toil." Um, well, if you can never say no to
0: the comforts of the world and all of the worldly attachments and all of the worldly pomp and circumstance and all the shiny things i don't remember the name of the wife of lot but regardless
1: oh the when they're leaving they're leaving what
0: happened when they were supposed to be going towards basically salvation they were going to their own form of the promised land
1: and what happened literally angels escorting you (laughs) telling you
0: telling you. you have one thing to do as you go towards your salvation don't look back and don't long for it. And what does she do? She turns back around and then poof, pillar of salt. That's something we all should be taking to heart because it's a message for every single Christian. The whole point is this earth is temporary. This earth will only last for a short period of time. Some of us, way less time than others. And even then, even for a person who lives 110 years old, it's a blink of an eye compared to eternity. And the question is whether or not it's worth looking back on this, this short moment in all of eternity to ask whether or not it's worth it anything here is worth more than eternity with god because if it is that little tripping hazard is what actually has the chance of sending us to hell
1: it's really bad so
0: we we're going to keep going a little bit further as we go on to other questions and
1: yeah but again you know and i just read reread uh sight of hell um good book but uh It's the idea, too, when people, people always come back to the idea of like, well, how could God, a loving God, send someone to hell, suffer torment for eternity? You know, how could, how could he let bad things happen in the world? And, you know, we've talked about this whole idea that, and we just spoke about it at length, about how people choose to turn their back on that, right? Well, it goes back to, again, when we try to make our lives comfortable, right? We, we're trying to make our lives comfortable because we hate the sentence but we don't hate the sin right so it's the same thing like yeah there's people in hell they're suffering torment that wish it would end but that's only because they hate the sentence that's been passed upon them they don't actually hate the sin of turning away from god which
0: is totally unfortunate because in the end that means people are longing for the imperfections that original sin has wrought they're longing for creation and the temporary things that are fleeting, that have to rot away, that have to die. How is anything that is going to rot and die worth more than God? So this is the whole question we're asking ourselves and anyone who can't see that is going to really need to look down deep to figure out what they want in their future and whether or not God and his redemption is what we want to accept or not. Now, moving further in the catechism, we ask, when did Christ die? Christ died on good Friday. Um, and for all the Catholics out there, This is why we do penances every Friday. And regardless of what the USCCB has said, there is still a penance there one way or another. It is still on the books from Roman, the the canon that we're all submitting to, that there at least is uh, abstinence from meat on Fridays. And for the USCCB, all they did, they did not lift the penance on Fridays. All they said was, is we could substitute an alternate. So one way or another, you better be doing penance on a Friday because every Friday is supposed to be suffered in unison remembrance and remembrance of Christ,
1: Almighty. and so. for for anybody listening, who USCCB is the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, yeah. right? But Pete's exactly right. They did they gave a dispensation to say, hey, you can eat meat on Fridays if you take up another penance. Now that whole if part, that whole qualitative back end has been either ignored or, unfortunately, just not taught at all, right? And so the a lot of Catholics out there today who may want to do the right thing. They don't even know necessarily what the right thing is because they've been failed by their teachers. So they don't know that, yeah, these fish fries that everybody loves going to, that growing up, going to, being like, oh, my gosh, getting around, hanging around with your friends and having this whole good time. Or those Friday
0: fish specials that you can get at certain restaurants.
1: During Lent, you know, that's not, that is the entire year that you're supposed to be doing that. That I mean, that it just is what it is. But you don't know what you don't know. But now you do. There you go.
0: Question 93 Where did Christ die? Christ died on Golgotha, a place outside the city of Jerusalem. Now, uh, this one's really interesting. The name here, Golgotha, place of the skull, Calvary happens to be Latin and means the exact same thing. Now, when we're looking at the place of the skull, it is said, it's been said that the skull of Adam actually resides underneath Golgotha, which is why it's actually called the place of the skull. So when Christ died, it is talked about by some of the early writers that the blood of Christ, then as it hits the ground, is actually going to fall on top of the bones of Adam, and that is one of the reasons why they talk about relics in the altars. In terms of, and then this goes back also to why uh, masses in the catacombs and a whole bunch of other stuff, because we're basically around the saints. And why are the saints holy? Well, this is Elisha. Uh, if we look at the bones of Elisha, I believe it's Second Kings. In there, he dies a holy man. And he's buried. Well, later on, another man uh, dies. And they throw his body into the same tomb. When his body touches the bones of Elisha, he rises from the dead. All because of the holiness that God bestowed upon that saint. In that same vein, that's why Catholics have relics, by the way. So it's holiness in those relics of holy individuals who devoted their will, accepted the redemption of Jesus Christ, were made holy in him, through their faith through their works through their charity and then those holy pieces of those individuals it's also been said uh, in multiple accounts demons hate those relics hate them because those relics are beyond the grasp in many circumstances from the demons so any way possible they want men doing everything they can to discount or to turn on any of the traditions that involve relics or holy things
1: well in regard to the relics again this seems to be a bit of a a contentious point between catholics and protestants but you know i would simply point out how many protestants have you heard or any protestants that may be listening you know you hear it all the time like the blood of jesus christ is washed over me and i am saved well i mean if you really mean that right like the blood of jesus like i i totally if i if i could be Covered in the blood of Jesus, like think of all the graces that are there. Or, I don't know, maybe you are Protestant. And you just think that's just like a, a cool metaphor. I don't know. But yeah, no if it's a metaphor, it's a, I, it's pretty dumb. Like I don't know. I think it's it's very. I think it's very true. The power that holy people, and the holy blood of the Word incarnate, the power that it can carry, and it's not just some sort of, you know. I say it because it's. I don't. Know, I don't even know like what. I can't, I can't fathom saying that and not actually meaning it is what, I guess what I'm getting at. St. Longinus was
0: converted when the blood and water of Christ came out of his side and came down that spear and touched him.
1: And he was, by the way, the Roman that pierced his side. Yes. For so those to, who don't know. Yeah. yeah.
0: So at the very end for the rules of sacrifice, according to the Levitical law, so the Mosaic law, when the Hebrews were going to do a sacrifice to God, one of the requirements was that sacrifice not only had to be unblemished and perfect in life, but when it was killed, it had to be killed in a very specific way so that the blood was taken out of it. Not one bone was allowed to be broken on that body. When the Romans crucified individuals as punishment, the way they would finish them off usually was to break the legs so they die. So that they.
1: So when you're crucified you're in this constant agony when you're hanging there that you can't breathe due to gravi- gravitational force so therefore you would stand up on your feet that are nailed to the cross and standing up on your feet obviously is extremely painful but it's the only way you can breathe and you would do that back and forth for hours. i mean hours and honestly days like just a quick side note during uh, Spartacus rebellion they had captured Roman legionnaire and they crucified him in front of roman fortifications and it was it was three days it took the guy to die so you can do that for a very long time um but yes in order to expedite the process after they decreed i guess your suffering had been enough they would break the legs so you could not stand up obviously when they got to christ they didn't do that
0: because longinus interceded and said no i will make sure that he's dead without breaking his legs and use the spear through his
1: heart And not only was that in Leviticus law that you don't break the bones of the sacrifice, but it's actually prophesied in the Old Testament that he would not have his legs broken. Yes.
0: And I believe it's one of those Psalm 21 or 22.
1: I can't remember like you, unfortunately, but yes. Yeah, it's
0: something along those lines. Um, So take all that away. Quite interesting. And again, if you have any more questions on any of that, throw uh, questions into our channel. We'll uh, fire back and give you some answers. Uh, Question 94, what do we learn from the sufferings and death of Christ? From the sufferings and death of Christ, we learn God's love for man, the evils of sin for which God, who is all just, demands such great satisfaction. Basically, there was no other way we were going to get out of hell other than this perfect act of charity. The greatest act done by any man ever and will ever be done was done on that cross. And only through that perfect act of perfect charity done by a perfect man who was sinless were we ever going to get any hope of heaven
1: whatsoever. So, so with that known, right, what do we learn? The follow on step would be, I think it becomes very apparent if it already wasn't, how much God loves us and wants us to return. He's very vested in that outcome. I would also say too, and this is this is more of like a daily in in the life, like this is... You know, cause sometimes I think looking back and, and talking about these these spiritual teachings, sometimes they can get, we're humans, right? They can get a little abstract, all right? And and we're very much creatures that focus on the next six inches in front of our face. And sometimes we struggle with these very extremely complex subjects, which is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our redeem, redeeming of our souls for all eternity. That's a, that's, that's a very big ball of wax uh, right there. But I think also, too, is the idea what we learn is essentially we learn the way, and this is secondary, this is absolutely secondary, so I don't want anybody to get this twisted, but we learn the way to essentially pick up our cross, embrace our cross, embrace the issues that we have been given in our lifetime and how to press up the hill, right? Embrace our responsibility. It's not about our rights. It's not about our comfort. It's about what we are called to do. What responsibilities do we have in this world? And no matter how uncomfortable or how painful they are, we are taught how to embrace those with love and press on.
0: Yeah. Because Jesus could have begrudgingly gone to his crucifixion and he could have complained every step of the way. And said, why are these people so mean to me and why are they so stupid? These little people who don't understand that I'm here to God to help them out. He could have struck down anyone on the way. And for that matter, honestly killed every single person on the face of the earth just had the cross
1: levitate above him as he walked up the hill he could have removed himself from the
0: cross at any time he could have healed himself miraculously at any time there are so many different ways out of this he could have gone yet he suffers meekly as the scripture tells us and meek not weak not like a child not like a
1: i think meek um i've heard Dr. Jordan Peterson talked about this before. I think that definition, has, the goalposts have moved on it to be, yes, this frail or weak or whatever it is. Meek is essentially the idea of being extremely powerful, but within control. Disciplined.
0: Yeah. Keep Keeping the sword in the sheath until the moment it was absolutely necessary. And this is the difference then we see from the birth of Christ to what we would look at in the judgment. In the beginning, he comes in as a baby and he comes in completely humble very merciful is his main message that he's saying including justice as well but by the time he would come again it's justice now so everything would actually be set right at that point in time he is very disciplined in terms of how he goes to his death and he is and that. i
1: think i think even in was it um is it saint catherine of Siena, the, her visions of christ's passion she's the one that had the visions correct
0: uh and catherine Emery. and catherine I,
1: I don't know why. For There's the whole passion reason, of Christ. You're right. Yeah. the, so, the movie is actually based <clears throat> on her visions, and you can always get those, always books, get those two. I always get those two confused. But anyways, I believe in in her visions, wherever it is. That's one of the first things when Jesus is given his cross that he's mocked for is why does he embrace his his cross? Why does he embrace the mode of his destruction?
0: Yes, because if we complain and we try to run away from it, and we don't lovingly embrace the pain and suffering that is presented to us, and not again by God. Remember, God is not the creator of evil. God permissively. Allows it to happen, saying, well, you did a bunch of evil. Original sin is terrible, so I'm just going to let it happen. Um, So he's not doing it to us. He's allowing it to happen to us. And he says, I'll be there. I'll help you through it. But this is kind of your own bed. You made it. Now sleep in it. And we have a choice. we either... And even
1: if any of it is unjust in this world, imagine the reward in heaven for suffering that it's humbly. Un- and Paul
0: tells us it's unimaginable. It's that good. So the thing is, is we can either accept with full commitment, fully allowing our will to be aligned to God's and lovingly bear our crosses, take this pain and be charitable and be happy as everything hurts, as everything's uncomfortable, as everyone makes fun of us, as we lose all of our friends, as we lose our jobs, as our families come apart. We can either take that with love and we can take it happily or... We can fight and we can go and make this terrible for us. We have two paths. And what's really cool is if you actually look at what's going on on Calvary, guess what? On his right, he has Dismas who sits there, willingly accepts his punishment and knows that he's guilty and says, this is mine, but please remember me at the end when you get to your kingdom. And then you have Gesmus on the other side who does the opposite way. And he does what most of us do all the time. And I will really admit, I am one of those people who has made many failings and has taken Guess Mrs. Road all too often to sit there and be like, man, why is this happening to me? That person's a jerk. I don't like it. I don't like when this happens. Or try to get out of it with every other stupid way we could possibly sin to avoid the consequence where really what we should have done is just freaking sucked it up and gone to our death like Christ did, ultimately like Dismas found out when he got there, in the end, that We only have two choices. We either accept our suffering like he did or we don't. But God shows us the way. So we really got to choose whether or not we follow him. Now, what's interesting on the the Dismas front is people sit there and act like this is where they're going to start to try to argue that there is no purgatory. Because, well, Dismas was going to be with Jesus, right? So he's in paradise. So paradise has to be heaven. And I believe it's St. Thomas who talks about the fact like, no, he was in paradise because he was in the presence of Jesus who descends into hell. So if we get to question 95, what do we mean when we say that in the Apostles' Creed that Christ descended into hell? When we say that Christ descended into hell, we mean that after he died, the soul of Christ descended into a place or a state of rest called limbo where the souls of the just were waiting for him. Now, it is thought by St. Thomas that there are four chambers of hell. Mm -hmm. Um, One is the one that we're all familiar with, the burning Gehenna. Yes. The, basically, it compares the, um, the that's the worst place. The reason that Christ, if you actually look at the Greek, uses the word Gehenna to describe that piece, is because the Valley of Gehenna is where the Baal worshipers would actually do their sacrifices. Usually of babies, and they would throw them into fires uh, because families, individuals would want prosperity and they knew their God, as long as they offered up their babies into these fires, would give them prosperity.
1: Sounds all very satanic, doesn't it?
0: Quite, ultimately, terribly satanic. This is why the evils of abortion, very eerily, all too closely, almost identically, people could say, resemble what was going on at Gehenna. Where people want prosperity and personal
1: comfort. I mean, we had that actress just the other day. Who literally did just that. Who, while standing on a stage holding a golden idol, was praising the murder of her child. So she could be prosperous. So she could have that. So Gehenna is a bad
0: place, and so whenever Christ talks about Gehenna, he's talking about the permanent fire burning hell with demons, and it's terrible. Well, then there's, He didn't go there, by the way. He did not go there, and that's what we're getting to. We're getting to yeah. the other chambers of hell. So then there's purgatory, at which point when uh, Christ descends, purgatory, the fires, I believe, are not lit, and no one's in there yet, because it hadn't started, because the redemption hadn't taken place until he was going to go ascend and whatnot. But when he goes down into hell, he doesn't go to purgatory, which will start being filled whenever he ascends. And he didn't go into the the burning bad place. He didn't go into the other chamber, which is the one that St. Thomas refers to as limbo of the infants. And I think there's a handful of other doctors who have talked about it. Mm -hmm. That's the one that's debatable. There's not really a dogma one way or the other. Correct.
1: The idea is that babies who were not baptized and had their original sin removed, that they hang there in limbo being taught by angels happy and comfortable would not but they wouldn't necessarily be worthy to, of being in the presence of christ because
0: they never went through the sacraments and then there's the last chamber which is the one that is now empty according to saint thomas and this is where jesus descended to where there is no fire and technically it would be good and evil resided there everyone from the old basically from adam and eve all the way up who had died before christ descended all of those souls were going to be there in this place and that was also known as Sheol. so this
1: is Sheol, abraham's bosom
0: Yes. And so in there is where Christ descends for those almost uh, three days. So he descends on a Friday, there all Saturday, and then ascends or basically, excuse me, resurrects on that Sunday. So that's the place where the, the souls rest. That's where he was talking. And Catherine Emmerich actually has this in her account of her visions that she had. And... In there, Christ actually is walking through and talking to people along the way and has a very long chat with Adam and Eve who actually are now sainted in the Catholic church and their feast day is according to the old calendar was the 24th. So you celebrate on the 24th of December, the vigil of Christmas, you celebrate Adam and Eve's feast, the old Adam, and then you go and. On the 25th of December, the new Adam. Man, it
1: all makes sense. It's all
0: aligned. Look at that. I tell you, this
1: could be a bestseller. If somebody wrote this down, we could really have a bestseller on our hands.
0: A book to account for all these things, like Uh, uh, like the good news, call it something like that? Like gospel. There you go. So if we go on to question 96, why did Christ go to limbo? So looking at the purpose, Christ went to limbo to announce to the souls waiting there the joyful news that he had reopened heaven to mankind. So all of the souls who were going to be saved were now notified that they're getting out. This is at the same time that Anne Catherine Emmerich and others had talked about the souls of those who are saved are coming, basically taking their bodies back and we're walking around Jerusalem at this time. So she actually recounts Jeremiah was one of them, I believe, who actually is giving stern talking to to the individuals who are involved in Christ's passion. Really cool book to read it. Moving on then to uh, question 97, where was Christ's body while his soul was in limbo? So Christ's body still remains in the sepulcher. So that holy vessel that's part of him, keeping it in that tomb, never occupied by anybody else, had been cleaned and taken care of then for two days, up until the point where he would actually have his soul reunited with his body. But he's still in that holy sepulcher where he's originally laid to rest Um, when Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea put him in there. And that was actually Joseph of Arimathea's tomb that he had actually had for himself, I believe, at one point, but then actually donated it and used it for Jesus Christ. Moving on to question 98, when did Christ rise from the dead? So as we just kind of intimated, Christ rose from the dead, glorious and immortal on Easter Sunday on the third day after his death. Now, the cool thing here from the standpoint of timelines is all of the visiting that he did after he comes back onto earth because it is talked about that the first person he met was his mother to basically say i'm back and everything it's about ready to go so meanwhile angels are obviously singing they're doing their thing so christ has accompaniment as he's going around he ends up meeting peter in here so peter is they believe the first of the apostles actually to see him but not until after the holy women had already seen Jesus and specifically, uh, it was Mary Magdalene mm-hmm. who had seen him because the holy women actually, this is one of the interesting things too. The holy women displayed more faith than the apostles actually yes. on Easter Sunday up until the moment where Christ materializes through the wall in the upper room. They had not seen him, but they knew enough about what had happened, whether they're going, he rose from the dead, he rose from the dead, he rose from the dead. And it was the apostles being like, whatever, what do you know anyway? so it was one of those uh, rough moments for the apostles as they were gaining their maturity getting ready to move towards pentecost but the whole sequence of events then where the women actually will back up so before everything actually is known by the rest of christ's followers and disciples the angel comes down to the tomb all the the guards are knocked down they all flee run away in fear the angel moves the stone away Christ all together starts going around doing this thing to talking and meeting with people. He meets with Mary. The holy women discover that the tomb's empty. Uh, Christ ends up going to the disciples on the road to Emmaus who don't recognize him. And what's really cool is that we talk about the Eucharist as a healing thing. So actually Mm -hmm. it gives us perception. It gives us all these other wisdom, things that we don't have because we're human and original sin and all the other sins we commit and et cetera, et cetera. All these things just keep hammering it bestows
1: graces on us too.
0: So the disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus completely dejected about the fact that Christ had just been killed and crucified and th- what do we do? And, and then this guy walks up to them on the road and starts talking to them, but going through one by one all of the prophecies that had been fulfilled. And they invite him back to their house so they can sit down with him. And as they're sitting, he actually breaks bread, blesses it, What looks like he's offering a mass and then as he gives them the bread they consume the bread is when they gain the insights the grace is to see him and realize who he was and then he instantly disappears so cool and then after that then they go running to go tell as well and then meanwhile thomas is telling all the apostles i don't believe until i actually get to stick my finger in the wound and then christ shows up and then effectively he doesn't berate the apostles together as bad as he berates. Thomas. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you don't really when you have call sign is doubting Thomas for all of eternity. (laughs) Like, I mean, that's that kind of like sums up how you were how you were viewed by the Lord at that point. Like, he had that had to be a real. I mean, yeah, you're not living that one down.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he he probably carried that with with him forever. Fun fact, by the way, it was Thomas, according to the early church uh, history that uh, actually baptizes the three wise men and brings them into the Catholic faith, yeah. which is really cool. So Casper, Melchior, and Balthazar were actually baptized by Thomas and ultimately become bishops. And he
1: Christianizes India later on, and he he actually is, I don't know, what's the word, teleported, like for Mary's uh, assumption? Bilocate. Bilocate. there you go. So there are people who are able I to— I knew teleport didn't sound very biblical. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and the reason I want I like this topic here is because— I think all of us should have hope is that how many of us came from weird backgrounds where we took on the modern scientific views and all of this modern worldly wisdom only to just realize that, wait a minute, this doesn't really add up and then come around. So Thomas should be an example for all of us that we have hope that if we have faith in God, first and foremost, we'll find a way back. We can get redeemed.
1: Yeah, so. a lot of us, a lot of us are, Thomas. You know, I I, I don't like to take as I was mocking him by any means because I know I, I certainly have been played the part Thomas did um, in my life. But we were talking about the other day, right? You know, you believe in order to understand. It's not the other way around, right? You don't. Yeah. Oh, I need to. You need to explain this to me. And Otherwise, me to I, believe, just don't. I just don't. Just, it him. doesn't. It doesn't pass Jake's smell test. I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep peddling on like, you know it's obviously a disordered way of the world yeah is it? so
0: moving on question 99 why did christ rise from the dead christ rose from the dead to show that he is the true god and to teach us that we too shall rise from the dead so even though the faithful on this earth will suffer the faithful on this earth will have to bear their crosses there's going to be all sorts of persecution there's all sorts of things that will go wrong we're going to be tested here and there temptations abounding And then we're ultimately going to die. We have to die. That is a penalty that Adam and Eve brought upon us. And it was so important that even God went with. So Jesus actually passed through death to meet his father. And why wouldn't you want to die, honestly? At this juncture, it makes sense. Now... That said, it's not that I'm sitting there eager for death to happen by any stretch. Yeah, we're not a death cult. No, there's time to go. And we have generations of children who are going to become adults. And this means new clergy and religious communities and everything else that we have to teach to help them, you know, push on through the persecutions and all the hardships that will come one day. But in the meantime, it totally makes sense as we sit there and contemplate, what is our end supposed to be like? What is hell like? What is heaven like? And this death on the other side, what does it look like? And right now the best... Uh, image we have of the positive side is christ and then with him his mother who also chose to die out of wisdom and love for her son went this you know went into death so she could be with him so we see this resurrection is really our future and the question is is whether or not we rise on the correct side or not so that's what life ultimately will determine and that's where we go into question 100 will all men rise from the dead all men will rise from the dead but only those who have been faithful to Christ will share in his glory. This, I find, somewhat, it's disturbing from the standpoint of those who go to hell get a perfect body back before they go. So it will live on forever, no matter what pain and suffering. So if they're crushed for eternity, they'll never actually break. If they're stretched for eternity, they'll never rip apart. If they're punctured or pierced, technically they'll never actually be punctured and pierced in a way that will ever have anything other than pain but their body will never break and stop that pain it'll be forever and it's one of those things where having that body the resurrection of the body which we do hit at the end of the uh the creed i know that's one of the lessons that comes down uh as we go further on in the the catechism the the resurrection of the body is a big deal and we talked about this before in the incarnation is that we don't resurrect in just spirit and we're not redeemed in just spirit or saved in spirit alone We have bodies, blood, and souls that all need to be redeemed and purified. So together, the complete man, everything that we are, that's what we're trying to purify and clean up, just as Christ did for us. So in the end, everyone's going to get a body back. Everyone's going to rise from the dead. And the question is what side we rise on. So So we pray we go the right
1: way. That right there in the catechism, the fact that only those who are worthy will share in God's glory, that right there should tell you that if you are, if Someone around you, whether that's a lay religious or clergyman, is telling you this idea of dare we hope that all men are saved or yes, hell exists, but only Hitler's in it or, you know, whatever. Stalin, and Osama bin Laden. And Osama bin Laden. I don't know. And, yeah. I mean, that's wrong. It's just not. Yeah.
0: Christ says the path is wide that leads to destruction. And many find it. And many find it. Not just like
1: it's a wide road, like, you know,
0: and he goes one step further to also say that even people who think they're gonna find him at the end who will say Lord, Lord, so they acknowledge he's Lord, will still actually be damned and he'll tell them to get away, workers of evil. And we There's plenty of parables too. Yeah. It's the and the guy who shows up at the oil, wedding the guy the at a wedding feast and he's not wearing the actual wedding garments. He wasn't actually dressed properly for the event and gets thrown out eternally. So it's like there's to a the whole, gnashing of teeth. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of things where we need to look closely at all of the details that have been given to us in scripture and in the traditions of the church from the beginning not just from 1517 onward or name the date of whenever your particular denomination was found you need to find everything in between that actually ties everything together so that you can look at all of the commandments as given every beatitude and know that we're going to be held accountable for every beatitude that we're going to be held accountable for every single commandment and anyone who violates even one aspect of the law is guilty of violating all of it according to st james so these are things that we should be contemplating when we look at the resurrection of the body resurrection of the soul all this thing together if we come together again in that last moment and the the uh, general judgment the end is is a very serious matter but the takeaway here is that our bodies will go with us wherever we end up now question 101 when did christ ascend into heaven christ ascended body and soul into heaven on ascension day 40 days after his resurrection so this is uh, ascension thursday uh, according to the catholic calendar this is a uh it's a beautiful feast in that you're rounding out the easter celebration that has been going on since his resurrection and then he goes into heaven uh, with the into the pillar of of smoke or the cloud And his apostles watch him go. The angels come and tell him, hey, he'll be back soon. Which angels' time frames here have to be completely (laughs) different than ours. Because you're looking at them from the standpoint where they can see eternity. Where we're looking at it like, man, that's a long time. There's thousands of years. However long it goes. I mean, So there's that plus the fact that you have then the blessed mother rejoicing at seeing her son ascend. And when he ascends into heaven, all of those Old Testament saints who are up walking around, telling, talking to everyone, they go with finally because they can follow him into heaven. It's a, a really big deal. And it's a prep then that we all do is this is then the 10 days now prior to when the church would be founded officially at Pentecost, when the first bishops are gathering to actually bring the world to them and convert to 3,000. I don't know if you have any other comments on that. But.
1: No, you summed it up pretty good. Pretty well. Grammar. Grammar.
0: (laughs) It'll get you.
1: If you look at the original Greek word for good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Question 102. Why did Christ remain on earth the 40 days after his resurrection? Christ remained on earth 40 days after his resurrection to prove that he had truly risen from the dead and to complete the instruction of the apostles. The Jews today, going back to the traditions of their past, acknowledge... That jesus was a man they acknowledge that jesus also may have even been a prophet they also acknowledge that they killed him so that he was actually killed under the law they even go as far as to acknowledge the law was not observed properly in his execution if you want to read a cool book that actually describes it who moved the stone by frank morrison actually goes through where he was an atheist trying to disprove the existence of god the existence of Jesus and Christianity and all this other stuff. And as he starts reading it, he's like, wait a minute, these people were so scared of this guy that they had to break their own laws and try him in the middle of a night before a feast, when they were supposed to be being purified, they were supposed to be taking their time to get all prepped so they could actually offer the sacrifice. And instead they're trying this guy and trying to get him killed while lying about him because they were so scared of him and then they kill him. The only argument now is not of his life and what he did or what he said what they're now arguing is who he was and where his body went after the uh tomb was opened up yeah so they tried to accuse and say that his body was stolen
1: so here's the thing i think that this leads right into it uh, and it goes back to the doubting thomas thing it goes back to the believe in order to understand not understand in order to believe god in his mercy and in his justice has given us how many countless prophets saints he gave us the Blessed Virgin. He gave him. He gave us his only son who became man, the Word Incarnate. Jesus and his infinite wisdom, right, knows what, what will be coming after and all the heresies that will happen, the blasphemies and stuff like that. Forty days on the earth prove, yes, I have conquered death. Yes, I am the way. And then you have people like the modern-day Jews that, well, that's still not good enough. You have atheists, right, well, did he, did he really? Like, did they not just steal his body in the middle of the night? Like... So essentially there are
0: even Protestants who are trying to argue that part of that is allegory and yes. that it's just part of a story, a creative literature project, so that we can all learn to be better people, but all that stuff's not really exact about Jesus, you know.
1: Yeah, so the the point is is that you could have Jesus standing right in front of you bearing the five wounds of Christ, you know, and try to put your hand through or your hand into the holes in his hands, as Downing Thomas wanted to. If you don't want to believe, you're not gonna believe. Like, you just, you won't. You'll harden your heart against it, and you just won't. So, you know, somebody, somebody can sit there and go, why only 40 days? Why don't you, you hang around for another three years? Right, well, who are we to question God's yeah. plan?
0: That, it's that simple. So, I think the thing is, is just accept don't it. don't have time for it. Yeah. No. It, right now, guys, like, we need faith. As Catholics, we need faith. As Catholics, we need to have charity. And the only way we can actually be charitable with God 100% is have enough faith to believe the plan as it was given to us and know that these scriptures, the way they were given to us, these scriptures are inerrant. So accept it and we move on. If you guys got questions, we'll be happy to answer any of those questions that you have. Question 103. What do we mean when we say that Christ sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty? When we say that Christ sits at the right hand of God, the father almighty, we mean that our Lord God is equal to the father and that as a man, he shares above all the saints in the glory of his father and exercises for all eternity, the supreme authority of king over all creatures. So this is a harder one from the standpoint of the physical relationship of the, we don't know what heaven looks like. We don't know what a throne room up there looks like. I'm assuming there is one and it's probably amazing and I can't fathom it. The thing to take away here is that the right hand man is your most trusted of all of your agents the most trusted of all of the associates that you hold and for god the father this is a place of honor trust power everything else in this man god his son of god jesus christ to do the things that he wanted him to do and ultimately to honestly to be glorified for eternity at the right hand of God the Father. So it's that relationship, that dynamic, again, another extension of the Trinity.
1: Yeah, it's not one of those things that we need to spend a whole lot of time speculating on, right? This is what the church tells us. This is what we say in the Apostles' Creed. It is what it is. We accept it. It's not something we need to sit around and quibble over. And then we move on.
0: So the last question for this lesson here,
1: what do we mean when
0: we say that Christ will come from thence to judge the living and the dead? Now it says in Scripture that Christ is a judge. So when we say that Christ will come from thence to judge the living and the dead, we mean that on the last day, our Lord will come to pronounce sentence of eternal reward or eternal punishment on everyone who has ever lived in this world. Now, there are two judgments that we'll actually talk about them when we get on to the later lessons. There's a particular judgment that each individual soul, so each person who dies from this life, will actually be judged in a particular judgment with Christ. And then after that judgment, will then exist in whatever state based on whether they are saved or damned up until the moment of the general judgment. And that's the last judgment. um, The uh, basically apocalypse, everything they talk about apocalypse and the second coming of Christ is the general judgment. And that's when Christ descends from heaven. So if you actually read the book of apocalypse, that's when Christ comes down on his white horse leading the heavenly host, which just to mentally picture that for a moment, billions of angels, Coming out of heaven Mm -hmm. and
1: Christ basically, what was it? Fire from his mouth. Mm -hmm. Either, either you're going to be, you're either going to sit there and just be like, oh my gosh, yes, it's happening. Or you're going to just be like, "Uh oh yeah. And even immediately seeing that you're just going to one or two things.
0: And even for the people who are already dead, Mm -hmm. uh, it has to be a very moving moment. That's where, and I don't even remember which one of the, the saint said it And for some reason i think it was catherine of Siena, but i could be wrong um but one of them actually said the worst moment that any damned soul ever feels or has is when christ looks at them basically in anger and says be gone from me you worker of evil and that moment stays with them their entire life now granted then they go to hell and they're tormented by demons and pain insurmountable and perfect recollection of every sin they ever committed and perfect recollection of every denial of God's assistance and grace that they ever committed throughout their entire life here on earth. And they get to have that perfectly with them in hell forever. Terrible. And at the same token, on the flip side, the good side, then those people have been waiting for this moment for their entire Christian life when they actually got serious about it and said that one day this is going to happen and the whole earth will be remade in the glory of God. Absolutely breathtaking just to stop and contemplate that for a moment. And then the the saints really talk about contemplating hell and heaven. So contemplating what heaven is like for eternity. And at the same token, contemplating what hell is like for eternity, because we really should be scared of eternity. Like it's not a great place if you end up in hell. And it's the most amazing place you could can't even fathom today to be in heaven. So we think about our eternity often when we look at this life from the perspective of eternity and hell and heaven. God's eyes, we will be able to live more like him. But we're not going to be able to do it alone. So, us looking at it from our perspective, our feelings, it just doesn't matter. So, that's why, again, why are we here? Why the ecumen here? To continue educating all of you guys out there so that you can think on all of these things. Figure out what God is seeing and what God wants to see more of so that you guys can be the best Christians you can possibly be.
1: So, on that note, let's uh, explain too, right, mm -hmm. our ending.
0: Yeah, before we go too, we uh, do a Just a short little asking St. Joseph to pray for us. So here's the thing. Uh, We got angels and saints up in heaven. And as we said in our episode on the angels, ask them for prayers. They've already been saved. They're more perfect than any of us. And they're going to do great things. Joseph is the protector of the church. Joseph is the terror of demons. Joseph is the example for every non-divine man out there on how to do it right. So he he was not god from the beginning he always seems like an
1: afterthought right a lot of a lot of catholics always just kind of go oh yeah there's there's jesus and there's Mary, and then there's there's also joseph right and when in reality he's one of the highest saints right because we don't believe that you know in egalitarianism in heaven there is no egalitarianism in heaven right everybody has a place some people are higher and lower that doesn't mean that there's any sort of iniquity in that right but you have a a place that you've earned in heaven where that's really great or whether that's lesser than. But um, he is one of the highest saints in heaven.
0: And he's probably up there quite likely higher than the angels with the level of humility that he displayed to walk in service of the Blessed Mother for every single year that they were married and to be in service of Jesus Christ, our Lord, directly while he was coming of age as a man. So St. Joseph has a lot to offer us as as fathers as husbands as brothers as men that we really all should be emulating in everything we can do and if saint joseph can offer up a few prayers for any of us i will gladly take them knowing that i have a lot to do in order to get anywhere close to what he was able to accomplish in his short 13 years ish Mm -hmm. that he had in the presence
1: of christ and the blessed mother and people you know for those who may be wondering like well why didn't why wasn't joseph at the cross and stuff right because he did die because once christ became a man christ was there to look after his mother joseph had fulfilled his role as and the he was he as the steward and he was now that was his that was his lot it's not like hey you know now we're gonna get rid of you but like he was there to look after the blessed virgin and baby jesus and essentially steward like you said be the steward as he became a man once christ became a man He had served his role, and then he died. So let us all serve our roles.
0: And even women out there, St. Joseph is helpful. you got the Blessed Mother as well, but our job is to serve our roles, fulfill our roles for God so that we can be saved in the end and glorify him forever. So on that note, I'm going to say then uh, thank you all for listening. Please subscribe to us on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes. Uh, Hit us up wherever with questions. We're happy to answer. Otherwise, uh, take care until the next time when we uh, hit the next lesson here. And in the meantime, St. Joseph, pray Pray for for us.